Hey everyone, this is Anthony Fleming, Senior Pastor of Church Alive, praying that this message is fresh, real, and powerful in your mind, your heart, your family, every part of your life. If you enjoy these messages, subscribe to it, share it with a friend to build their faith. God bless you as you lean in to the power and presence of God's Word. My name is Steve. I am one of the pastors on team here at Church Alive, and I'm so happy to be with you today to continue in our Christmas series called The Untold Story. You doing good today? How many of you are excited about the World Cup? Don't lie. How many of you are excited about the World Cup? Hands up. All right, 66 minutes. It's 2-0 Argentina. Don't check your phones anymore. You'll know how it ends when it's over. If you're home and you're watching it and you got it on the TV, turn it off. It's time to lean in this morning to what God is going to do in this place today. I want to, one of the things that I'm honored to do here at church is lead our Church Life College. And we recently just ended our semester. And in one of the classes, we asked our students to write about a time in your life when the word of the Lord birthed the God-given project or calling and or strengthened you to continue. And I want to read to you what one of our students wrote. Throughout my walk with God, I have received a few prophecies that I have felt I was not up to the part for more like I'm not good enough for such a gift, and I guess to really pinpoint it, I lacked self-confidence. Truly, I can say that Church Alive has impacted my life. The church and its community are so present with these constant reminders and encouragement to seek God and rely only on Him. How can I not get motivated to grow in my relationship with God? God has been stirring up these gifts He instilled in me, visions, prophecy, and worship. I feel so passionate about these, and every day I ask God for His guidance and His discernment. Today I know I wasn't lacking self-confidence, I was lacking His confidence. And knowing and believing that every day I am beyond loved and beyond cared for, how can I doubt or feel that I am not enough if the Creator of heaven and earth took the time to create me and made me perfect? God calls me His daughter, therefore all my confidence comes from Him. I am eager and desire to grow with God and I'm so excited for what's to come. How good is that? How encouraging is that? I'm going to knit all of this together with the beginning of how we kicked off this series. And in the first week, Pastor Anthony shared on the divine bother. We shared about how God gets in our way sometimes. He comes into our world through dreams or through visions or through other means. And he gets in our way so that we know the right path that you and I are meant to take. And last week, Pastor Verlani shared about the untold story of grace, about how grace is literally the vehicle that God uses to prepare us for something. And we learned about asking the right questions, waiting for the Holy Spirit, and agreeing in faith on that. And as I begin today, I'm going to read to you out of 1 Samuel chapter 3. And in this moment of history, Scripture tells us that God has been more quiet than normal. It says that the, the, the voice of the Lord has been rare in those days, and visions were uncommon. And we see this man named Samuel, and God is calling to him, and he keeps going to Eli, another a, a priest, saying, oh, did you call me? And he's missing the point. And so I'd like to invite you to join with me and stand as I'm about to read 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 8 to 11. We catch up, and it says this, and the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and he went to Eli and he said, Here I am, for you call me. And then Eli perceived, say the word perceived, perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. 
Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. And then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. So, Lord, we thank you, Father, that you are doing something in this place today. Lord, we give you all the glory and all the praise, and we put our eyes on you and you alone. I thank you, Lord, that in this moment you will speak and that we will hear things. I pray, Father, that the word, that scripture that is spoken today, that, Father, it would be like a river of living water, and, God, it would nourish places that have been dead, and, God, it would call to life the places that have been barren. I thank you, Lord, for what you're about to do in this place. Let's say this together. Lord, I am listening. I am putting all my attention on you. Open my eyes to see. Open my ears to hear. And soften my heart to receive all that you have for me. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. Thank you so much, worship team. You guys are absolutely phenomenal. How many of us appreciate our worship team? They are just stellar. So like I just said, the first two weeks of this series, we looked at the divine bother. We looked at the untold story of grace. That testimony that I read to you from our student from Church of Life College. And even scripture, not just the one I read out of 1 Samuel, but scripture as a whole, they're all saying the same thing. And it's not only that God desires to talk to us, it's that he is talking to us. He is talking to us on a regular basis, and the reality is he's talking to us much more regularly than I think you and I ever even realize. And the reason why he reaches out and wants to speak to us and interact with us is that we are on this journey, and God wants to be a part of it. And haven't you noticed that it's just so easy for life to kind of bog you down sometimes, right? I mean, look, the reality is we all live in this world. We have bills to pay. We have rent or mortgage we got to take care of. We've got car insurance. We've got mouths to feed some of us and everything like that. And so when you look at it, isn't it so easy to just kind of go throughout your day and, and just kind of be there? But I want to remind everybody this morning that the spiritual reality that you and I live in is that when you are born again, when you put your faith in Jesus, Scripture teaches that it's not even just that the Holy Spirit comes and encourages you or that he comes alongside you and that he's there sometimes to lead you along the way when you need it. No, Scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit actually comes and resides within us. This separates our faith apart from every other belief system is that the God, creator God of the universe, the almighty, all-powerful king of heaven that breathed everything into existence, when we put our faith in him, he chooses to be within us so that every step of the way, you and I have the presence of God available to us. But it's up to us to remember that we are spiritual beings. If you've ever taken freedom with me, one of the things we say in that class is that we are not earthly beings having a temporary spiritual experience on earth. You and I are spiritual beings having a temporary physical experience here on earth. And we need to remind ourselves of the difference sometimes, right? I read a book a couple years ago called Whisper by Mark Batterson. And I would highly recommend it after uh, coming out of this message, actually, that you would get it and read it. Phenomenal book. And he's one of my, I think he is my favorite author. And he said this, nothing 
has the potential to change your life like the whisper of God. Nothing will determine your destiny more than your ability to hear his still small voice. You notice it doesn't say nothing will change your destiny more based on your gifts, based on your talents, based on the people that you know, based on your level of drive, based on what you can accomplish, based on what you can carry. No, nothing depends, your, your destiny depends so very much on the voice of God that nothing else compares to it in our Christian walk. So let me ask you a question. Why do we need to hear from God? Why is it that we actually need to hear from Him? One of the reasons we need to hear from Him is for motivation. How many of you know we need, us as human beings in general, we need motivation, right? I need to be inspired in order to get me to do anything, right? And sometimes it's harder for some than it is for others. But we all need motivation. So we need the Word of the Lord. We need the voice of God in our life because I need to know what am I doing? What am I working towards? What are the things that God values? What are the things that God doesn't want to see? What is it that he desires for my life? And what is it that he desires just for the community as a whole? I need the motivation to know what am I doing in this world? But how many of you know we need assurance along the way too? All of us need assurance. Because you go out into this world and it's difficult. You see the news and sometimes it can feel oppressing. It can feel heavy with what's going on in the world. We need the assurance that God is in control and we need the assurance that God has got me. God doesn't lose anything that is in his hands. And along this journey, we need the motivation to know where we're supposed to be going. But we also need the assurance to know who we are, who we are in Christ, that we are purchased, that we are redeemed, and that we have the ability to have this incredibly intimate relationship with our creator. And we also need guidance. How many of you know that we are fully capable of making some pretty good messes in our world, right? I've done it. I'm sure some of you have as well. But how many of you know that it's not just us that make the messes, it's other people? People are going to be people. Family are going to be family. And there's going to be things that we're going to navigate through this world that we need God's guidance on. We need to know in those difficult situations, how do I do this? We need to know when someone has wronged us and we're, and we're frustrated and everything, how to forgive. We need to have all of these things along the journey. Motivation, assurance, and guidance. The reality is that we all have a path forged ahead of us. In Ephesians 2.10, the Apostle Paul said, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Well, walk means you're moving. It doesn't mean you're standing in place and just walking like that. When you walk, you take steps. So the idea here is that in the Christian faith, in the Christian life, there is progression. There is movement of what you're called to do. And it looks different for different people. Don't think that just because I'm saying you have to move, you're like, well, I'm not a leader. I'm not somebody that's called to something like that. You may not be. But all of us have a path that God has forged ahead. And he's given you gifting. And he's given you talent and abilities to accomplish what he created you you to do. All of us have this inherently built into us, but we need him to succeed in our journey. See, here's the thing. God has created us. God has given me a brain. God has given me decision-making capability, right? And so something that Pastor Anthony shared in the first week, he said, 95% of living out our faith in the will of God is practical. It's doing what you know to do. 
If you don't know what to do, seeking it out in scripture and finding counsel among leaders and trusted people to say, I don't know what to do in this situation. How do I honor God? So the 95% is practical, but there are the things that is separated out in our lives. There's encounter moments that we have to have with the Lord where he spurs us into something deeper, right? So now, if the Holy Spirit resides in me and I have the presence of God accessible to me, and if he created me and he gave me this brain and he gave me this decision-making power, does that mean that I always do the right thing and everything he wants me to do always? <laughs> no. Far, how far from it can that be sometimes, right? We're still people. And isn't it incredible that God designed us to need relationship with him and to need to hear his voice? He could have made it so that when we were born again, it was just bing, and everything worked. And we just lived out the scripture, did everything right. But no, he actually gave us the ability to maybe make wrong choices or to have those questions and need guidance. Why? Because he valued relationship with us far much more than perfection. He wants to be a part of our life. He wants to be involved in our journey. And he wants us to hear what he has to say. Another thing that Mark Batterson said in the book Whisper, he said, good ideas are good, but God ideas will change the course of history. So you can have great ideas. You can have great ideas just using this brain and this decision making and this practical application of things. You can have good ideas and you will accomplish good things as you do them. But there are things that God has designed you to do that will impact the history of a family, that will impact the history of a culture, of a community. And the reality is that those are moments that we need to be listening for. Because if we're not, sometimes we can miss it. And we're going to read Luke chapter 1 today, the Annunciation, where the angel appeared to the Virgin Mary to let her know that Christmas was coming in her world, right? In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived the son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You notice when the angel greeted her, he said, Oh, favored one. When an angel comes to you, that's generally a good thing you want to hear, right? Oh, favored one. We know that Mary was a virtuous woman. We know that Mary would have been an observant Jewish woman following the law of Moses and the rituals and the uh, customs that were prescribed in culture. So God came and saw on her a woman that he could trust, right? And isn't it interesting, though, that when the angel appears to her, we don't have any idea what she was doing. Doesn't it bug you sometimes when stuff is just left out? 
It's like, well, what was she doing? If you look at classical artwork from the Renaissance that depicts the Annunciation, this moment that the angel appeared to her, there's a four different ways that classical artists depicted it because nobody knows what she was doing. So sometimes it's just Mary and an angel, and the background is, is kind of vague. You don't really see anything. Other times she's sitting, and usually there's a book open, which signifies her um, studying the scriptures, right, and being observant of the law. And other times it shows her knitting, and typically when she's knitting, you see the red thread, the scarlet thread, which is the salvation theme throughout all of scripture that she's knitting. But the reality is, we have no clue what she was doing. But look, regardless of what you're doing, when an angel appears to you, it's a little startling. I don't care if you're reading a book, if you're knitting, or if you're watching the World Cup. A world, an angel appears to you, it's a startling moment. But what do we see happen in the progression of the scripture that I read there? We see a moment that starts out with perplexity and doubt and fear. She was scared. She had no idea what he was saying. And yet, by the end of it, we see that it, that had turned into what? It had turned into faith. So what happened in the interim? The, the New Testament was written in Greek. And in the Greek language, there are two different Greek words that we would translate into English as word. And so one of those words in Greek is called logos. And when the word logos is used, it is literally just referencing the written word. You look at a newspaper, the words you see, logos. You and I having a conversation, logos, right? Logos is the written word. And in scripture, logos actually can refer to scripture itself. So when you and I are reading scripture, it is logos. It is just words that are written down. Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit, the only written material that is, but still it's logos, right? And so in Luke 1 29, when the angel appeared to Mary, it says Mary was greatly troubled at his logos. Mary was greatly troubled at his logos and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So when the words came to her first, the logos words came, she didn't get it. It was kind of foreign to her. She was confused. She didn't understand even what he was saying or how it could be physically possible. And so because of that lack of understanding of the words logos that were spoken, there was some fear. There was some doubt. There was some uncertainty. But the other word in Greek that we translate into English as word is something called rhema. And that word, a way to explain it would be the revealed word. So let me give you an example out of what we read, Luke 1, 38. This is towards the end, after Mary and the angel have had some interaction, after the angel not only explained to her what was going to happen, but also confirmed that her cousin Elizabeth was pregnant, which is something that it's like, well, how'd you know that? Well, that's just crazy. That builds faith in a moment, right, when something gets shared with you. We see her say this, and Mary said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your rhema. Let it be to me according to your rhema. And the angel departed from her. So even in this moment here, we see these two different words being used. And we see that logos comes and it's words that are spoken and there was a lack of understanding. And yet through an exposition of the word of God or a discussion and chewing it out per se, the thoughts and everything like that, Faith came, and now Mary has rhema from the Lord, right? And so I want to tell you this morning that the two of them are linked together. They are related to one another. You can't have a rhema word from the Lord if you are not in the logos word of the, word of the Lord first. That is where it all starts from, right? 
In John 6, 63, Jesus said, but it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. <laughs> no help at all. It doesn't do anything for this. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The rhema that I have spoken to you is the Greek that is used there. The words, the revealed words, the words that are empowered by the power of my Holy Spirit, those words that have been spoken to you are spirit and life. Why is this? Why is this the case? The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, he says this, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. When you and I are just simply operating in the natural, the things of the spiritual don't make sense. When you and I are operating in the natural and just doing our life and going day to day and, and not engaging with the Holy Spirit who's present within us, we don't get it. We don't get the fullness of what God is trying to give to us. But this is, this is the point. We have been filled with the Holy Spirit. So now because of that born again moment where our spirits are alive, you and I can understand what God is saying through his word. And that is what is going to bring fruit into our life. This moment that Mary had was a rhema moment. The angel came, the word, the Logos word came to her. And through interacting with God, through his servant, the angel, rhema came into her world. Even the birth of Jesus was a rhema moment. It was a revelation of the word of God. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, in the beginning was the Logos and the Logos was with God and the Logos was God. He was in the beginning with God. That is referring to Jesus. And yet we see that when he came through revelation, he was born to us. So something that was spiritual first is now revealed in the flesh. I want to tell you this morning that before you accomplish something for God of significance, it has to be born in your spirit first. That person at Church of Life College received revelation and growth about their identity and calling because they were in an environment of faith where the Logos word is studied, it is discussed, it is chewed on per se, and it is an area and an environment where rhema can come. And that is simply what happens when we spend time with God and in his word. Transform has changed the trajectory of this church forever and will change the trajectory of other churches across the world forever. Do you know how it started? Pastor Anthony was raking leaves, and he felt the Holy Spirit say to him, help men win in life. How simple is that? And yet it was a moment that God brought a divine bother into his world, that God has supernaturally graced him and gifted him to carry what God has deposited in him. And now that Logos word, through meditating on scripture, through prayer, has now revealed itself in the flesh in the form of transform. And look at the transformation that we're seeing across the, across the board. Look at what God is doing. Rhema is important, so important. It is so important because it is actually part of our spiritual armor. In Matthew 4, verse 4, Jesus is now in the wilderness after he's been baptized, and he's being tempted by the devil. And the devil has tempted him to take stones and turn them into bread because Jesus had been fasting for 40 days, and he was hungry. Jesus responds to him, and he says this, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every rhema 
that comes from the mouth of God. When you're studying scripture, there's a concept called the law of first mentions. So the first time you see a certain word used, the first time you see a certain principle in scripture, it's really important that you study the context in which it happens because God sets a precedent by doing it. So when God says something a first time, pay attention because now you're going to see it again in a progressive different ways throughout scripture, but you're going to see him operate the same way. This is the first time that we see rhema used in the New Testament, the Greek word. And isn't it interesting that it is used in the context of spiritual warfare? In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, and take the helmet of salvation. He's talking about the full armor of God. And then he says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the rhema word of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is talking about the armor that we have. The rhema word of God is the only offensive weapon that we're given. Everything else is on the defense, but the rhema word, the revealed word, the Holy Spirit empowered word in your world for you is what warfare begins with. And so, rhema can come in a couple different ways. So I want to give you some examples of how this operates in our world. You, you with me today? Look at your neighbor and say, water break. Thank you. So, there's a couple different ways that rhema can come. First way is an understanding or a thought. So you saw, just like with Pastor Anthony, doing something extremely practical, raking the leaves, and then all of a sudden a thought happens. I've noticed that sometimes the Holy Spirit has spoken to me. I'll be thinking about something, and it's almost like a thought comes so quick and it's so clear, and it's like a 90-degree turn from where I was. And I'm like, oh, there's no way that was me. That was way too smart. <laughs> that was way too put together. I'm not that put together. But when we hear these things, it's kind of like, then it's, Lord, are you speaking? What are you trying to show me right now, right? Another way that it can come is as a dream, as a vision, or as a word from someone, as a word from someone, which has to be based in the word. Anytime somebody gives you a word from the Lord, it has to be based on the Logos word of Scripture, right? But these are some different vehicles by which Rhema can come. Mary had a vision, arguably, when the angel appeared to her. It was reality, but could be classified as a vision. She had this rhema moment, right, where the Lord imparted something to her. But sometimes it happens in dreams. I've had dreams where God has corrected me, where God has encouraged me, right? I've had people, trusted people in my world, come to me when they've had dreams about me, and they were God speaking. Pastor Miriam has had dreams about me. If she tells you she's had a dream, buckle up. Get ready. <laughs> but there's all these different ways that... He, that we can get it, but really at the end of the day, how, how do we? Because it might feel far off for you. It might feel like, well, I get it. You, know, I, you might understand what I'm saying, but how do I get there? My first thought to you on how you can encounter Rhema is that a life that honors God attracts his voice. Plain and simple. A life that honors God attracts his voice. When we're living to honor the Lord, when we're living to put his scripture into practice in how I operate, when we are considering how do I interact with people in a God-honoring way, when I honor God with my finance, when I honor God with my time, when I serve, I am honoring God. When I am quick to forgive, even when I don't want to be, <laughs> we're honoring God, right? When we honor our spouses, when we raise godly children, we are honoring the Lord. And it is that life that God starts to look and say, oh, I can talk to you more. Haven't you noticed that the people that honor you, you want to be around them more? You want to listen to them. It's the same with our relationship with God. 
Spending regular time in worship allows you to hear his voice. That's why we should be early to church. That's why we should have a habit of having worship throughout our day, even when we're not here. That is why it's so important for us to gather. Can I tell you that over the last two years, give or take, 50 to 60% of my messages were because I was standing right in the front row and in the middle of worship, the Holy Spirit has shown me something or said something to me. And I went, oh. Sometimes we're so busy talking, we're not listening anymore. But it's those moments, and I want to honor our worship team because they do such a phenomenal job of not only worshiping God and honoring them, but you guys do such a tremendous job of creating space for people to hear. And I want to honor you for that, Ishmael, because you guys do such a great job. All of you, Pastor Magno, everybody. And number three, spending regular time in Scripture. Say regular time. Regular time in Scripture allows him to speak specifically to you in different ways and in different seasons. On September 21st, 2019, Pastor Joe Riddle was here at Church Alive, and he was speaking. And during his sermon, he started prophesying to Pastor Magno and Pastor Magno's siblings. And I've known Pastor Magno for, gosh, like 13 years. He's one of my closest friends. And so when I saw Pastor Joe prophesying to my friend, I was so excited. I was just in the moment, right? I was leaning and I'm listening to every word he's saying, and I'm just so excited for my friend who's receiving something unique. And in that moment, God spoke to me, to me, and I almost was confused at first. And I heard him say this, and I wrote it down on a piece of paper that day, and I've kept it in my Bible ever since. He said to me, you'll be a restorer of people. Do we have that picture? You'll be a restorer of people. I didn't know the significance of it. This was scrap paper that I had. And I frantically just got a piece of paper, I wrote it down, and I, I wrote the date and who was talking. Because I was like, I think this is important. I didn't get it. I didn't get the fullness of it. And at the time, we had just started teaching freedom groups, uh, launching Freedom Transform Group and everything like that. But I hadn't gotten it into my spirit, what I was called to do necessarily yet. And when, when he said that, you'll be a restorer of people, I went, what? I didn't see that in me. Just like when he said to Mary, you're going to bear a child. What? I'm a virgin. How does that work? That doesn't make any sense. Just like when the person at Church of Life College was prophesied to. What? I'm not made to be like that. A couple months later, I think Pastor Miriam was sharing during prayers and praises just on a Sunday morning, and she shared out of Isaiah 58, 11 to 12. And that scripture has become foundational in my faith to me personally. It's so important that on the Bible app, I made a cute little picture. You know how you can do that? You can do artwork and everything like that. Made a picture, have the Holy Spirit at the top, because why not? And, um, and I, had my, I printed it out at work, and I had my wife laminate it, because I bring it with me to work. It's in my backpack, and it's right along the backside of my laptop. So when I take out my laptop in the morning, regardless of how bad a day I think I'm going to have, started out with this sucker. I meditate on this. Because in that moment when Pastor Miriam spoke it, because I had paid attention on September 21st of 2019, and I wrote down what I thought God was saying to me, when Pastor Miriam read this, I started shaking. I teared up. And all I could say to God was, that's me. That's me. And I have sat on this scripture, and at the time, I saw the end of it. It says this, And the Lord shall guide you continually, and he shall satisfy your desires in the scorched places, and he shall make your bones strong. 
and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be known as a repairer of the breach, a restorer of the streets to dwell in. And when I saw that, I was like, that's what I'm doing in freedom. That's what, I was like, oh my goodness, that's what I am. That's what I do. And so I've held on to this. But notice I said, it's not just speaking into you for a specific reason, but it's in different seasons. Uh, recently, uh, last weekend, I wasn't feeling too well, and I just had some downtime where I could spend some time in Scripture. And I realized I'd never actually studied the beginning of this. Because at the end, it's talking about ancient ruins being rebuilt. Freedom. It's talking about repairing the breach. Freedom. You know, like I was so focused on that because that's what God was doing in that season. But as I read it today, or over last weekend, God started showing me something significantly different. And in the beginning, where God talks about in the scorched places, you'll be satisfied. In a desert place, you'll be a lush, green garden. And in a place where it's so difficult to find water, you'll be like a spring whose waters don't fail, who don't run out. I always thought when I read it that that was about freedom. It was about me pouring out. But God showed me in this season that I'm walking into, I'm walking into a season of entrepreneurship that I, quite honestly, even a year ago, didn't want. Never thought myself capable of, never saw myself doing. And yet through the divine bother over the course of the year, God has led me to take ownership over something that I never saw myself doing. And over the course of these last couple weeks even, God has been causing me to see it bigger than I ever thought it would be. But along with step, taking a step in entrepreneurship, that's scary. Because I got to pay bills. I got to feed hungry kids. And as I meditated on the scripture again, I teared up. Because I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, you'll be in plenty when you see others in lack. When the whole world economy could collapse, you'll find yourself a green garden whose waters do not fail. Rhema comes not only once. Rhema comes multiple times. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 20 to 21, it says this, Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. If you hold fast to what is good, it means you do not hold on to what is bad. You got to be willing to let go of the junk. You got to be willing to let go of the things that are not lining up with scripture and be strong enough to admit it. We have to stop chasing an emotional outcome where we just grab onto something because we think God spoke to us and hold it up to the litmus test of scripture and be willing to know when we're maybe feeling something for different reasons, but we have to seek the Lord more on it, right? We have to know when somebody shares something with us and maybe it doesn't align with the word. If someone comes up to you and says, I have a word of the Lord from you, I think you married the wrong person. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Get thee behind me, Satan. You can't buy into it, right? We have to be cautious and sit on and test. And then at the end, when something has proven to be from the Logos, when something has proven to be from the Lord, then we lay hold fast to it. We, we nurture it. We care for it. Maybe you're feeling like, maybe you're feeling like God just doesn't speak to you. Maybe that's good for leaders or pastors or other people, but that it's just not in the cards for you. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus comes and Peter is washing his nets after fishing. And Jesus hasn't, uh, Peter hasn't caught anything. And Jesus is trying to teach people on the shore, but they can't hear him. 
So he tells Peter, push out the boat so I can speak to people in essence. So Jesus is preaching to the crowd on the, on the shoreline and Peter's just sitting in the boat. He just did what, what, what Jesus told him to do, practical. And then after Jesus preaches the word, Logos, that Peter heard, then Jesus looks at him and says, now go out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. For all of us, the starting point of getting a rhema word isn't being good enough. It's being close and it's listening. So when we sit at the feet of the Lord while he's doing what he does, going along on the journey, practically putting into practice the stuff we know to do, just like when I was sitting in the front row, leaning in. When God is doing something in someone else's world, can I tell you, lean into the moment because you have no clue what you're missing out on. Don't disengage because somebody is getting a word and you're not because you are losing an opportunity to hear something that God might have for you. And that thing that he has for you might change the course of your entire life. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says this, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart has man imagined, what God has prepared, for those who love him. I want to tell you today, you can't out-dream God. You can't out-love God. You can't out-think him. And I'm humbled and so joyful in the fact that I have the Almighty One within me, giving me his voice, giving me the honor to hear his voice in my life, to guide me every step of the way so that I can step out of the normal, I can step out of the natural, and I can live in the supernatural. I want to tell you today as I wrap up that I am believing for you. I am believing that every single one of us can hear the voice of the Lord personally in our life. I believe that every single one of you. It is something that Jesus paid for us to have access to. And it is something that the presence of the Holy Spirit within us gives us. So thank you, Lord, that we can have that personal relationship with him. I am believing for you for progressive revelation. Maybe God has spoken something to you before. And just today, maybe you're sensing that there's more to what was spoken and you need to dig in a little bit deeper. I am believing that progressive revelation is available to you. I am believing today for progressive fruitfulness in your world. What you're capable of doing, what you've done, is not what you will always do. That on that walk in Ephesians 2 that we're on, that there will be continued fruitfulness in every single one of our life. What would it look like if every single one of us heard from the Lord, had a progressive revelation about identity, and increased in fruitfulness for the kingdom? My goodness, what a world you and I would live in. And I want to build your faith. And I want to let you know that I am praying for you to just simply have a deeper relationship with Jesus to enjoy all the benefits that he makes available to us because of it. And I hope that each and every single one of us can leave this place today. Maybe when you get in your car, maybe this afternoon when you're alone, or maybe before you go to sleep. And I hope that each of us can say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I'd love to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me because maybe you're in this place today and maybe you know that you don't have that relationship with Jesus. I want to tell you, that Jesus paid the penalty of death that our sin demanded, that on his body he bore it so that the sin that separates you and I from the Lord can be paid for and atoned for all time. Scripture says that when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you shall be saved. 
And I believe that there's people in this room that you need to lay hold of a rhema moment that God is opening for you today, that you've heard him maybe for the first time ever, and allow that revelation right now to lead you into a relationship with him. And so we're going to say a prayer together, and it is not the prayer per se that saves you. It is what your heart is saying to your Father in heaven that saves you. So let's say this prayer together. Jesus, I believe in you. I confess that I am a sinner, but I believe that by your life, that by your death, by your burial, and by your resurrection, I am forgiven. Thank you, Lord, for making me alive again. Holy Spirit, come in me, motivate me, assure me, and guide me every day of my life. In Jesus' name. And with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, if you made that decision today, I'm going to ask you to just slip up your hand so I can celebrate with you. One, two, and three. I see that hand. I see those two right there. I see your hand. Thank you. I see all those hands over there on the left. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you speak. I thank you, Lord, that you love your children with such a love that we could not possibly ever comprehend it. And God, I pray that you would continue to pour out, Father God, out of your word into the lives of your people, that God, faith would come, that God, fruitfulness would come, and that revelation would come. I pray, Lord, that each and every single one of us, Father, would continue to step on this journey, continue to walk, and that God, we thank you, thank you, thank you, that along this journey, you were not even just around us. You were within us. God, I pray that coming into this Christmas season, that God even more would come to know you within our friends, within our family, and that God, lives and generations would continue to change for your glory. And it's all in your name we pray.